0: It is always a blessing to be able to come back and to be invited to preach. My ministry these days centers around teaching, classroom situations with college students. Uh, From time to time on a regular basis, once or twice a term, I preach in chapel for the students. But generally I'm not uh, preaching anywhere near as often as a pastor would preach, so it's a blessing in that way as well. And uh, so I, I appreciate the invitation from Pastor Lejeune. It is a special day, and so we're, uh, we're looking back a little bit, uh, in choosing the message, looking back a little bit on the lesson or the motivation or what do I think brought us to this point. You might not be as familiar with church plants as, uh, as I am, as your pastor is, but it's not unusual, like a business, uh, church planning is not a business, but it's not unusual for a business to fail in five years. If a business, a young entrepreneurial business, can succeed for the first five years, they may well grow and succeed. But it's not unusual for fresh-planted churches to not pass the five-year mark. Times change, communities change, economics change, health changes, lots of things. So to be able to come back here in 43 years in itself is a blessing from God. And uh, I am not so simple or, or silly to think that that's because of me or the two pastors that have followed me. That is the hand of God. So I want to talk today about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Let's look at Romans chapter number 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Just a side comment for a moment. When we read that word Greek, It's not talking about uh, the nation, the nationality of being a citizen of a country named Greece. Greek was the language that had permeated the entire Mediterranean area, the whole Mediterranean Rim, and by the time of Christ, and Paul, who would be his disciple, his apostle, by the time of Christ, the language and the culture, both in the marketplace and in the classroom, the language and the culture of business and education was Greek. So this meant we had the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, the chosen nation of God, and we had everybody else. Because Greek was universal. Everybody else. So starting over with that verse For I am not ashamed of the power of Christ, for it is, uh, excuse me, the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein, in the Gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's bow for a moment in prayer. Father, I ask that you'd empower me, not for my sake, but for the sake of the congregation that's gathered here, to hear something from you, from the Word of God, this morning. I pray that those who have prayed and said, Lord, fill my cup. Lord, I need you. Lord, give me some encouragement. Lord, help me with my faith. Lord, I pray this morning that church would be meaningful to me. For every person who's prayed that, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower me as I preach, that their need is met. For those who came by habit, haven't even thought about it, I pray that you'd capture their attention and remind them of how wonderful and vital and lively the Word of God can be through your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'd give me clarity, give me peace of heart, give me powers I preach in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, you and I are living in two worlds. We know that. The first world, of course, is the carnal world, the fleshly world, sometimes called the temporal world because it reminds us of that sister word temporary. It's the world that God created in Genesis. And yet, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, created in Genesis chapter 3, fallen because of the sin of Adam, scarred. So this planet is not the planet Exactly that the Lord God created in perfection, in perfect balance, it's been scarred with sin. It's emotionally scarred. It's scarred in our behavior, scarred in our vision, scarred in our responsibility, scarred in every way because Adam sinned. And the nature to sin has been passed on to every single person human being. As by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so then death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We live in that sinful world. It's all around us. Our eyes survey it. Our ears hear the chords of it. If ever we were to go out to go shopping, go out to take a walk, wherever. We hear the music. We hear the words. We hear the foul language. We hear all of it. Our ears record that. Our tongues taste its sweetness. It offers some things that are nice and pleasant and sweet and good. And it's bitterness. It offers disappointment. It offers cruelty. It offers meanness. It offers injustice. The world around us is not the world that God wanted for us, but it's very real. And we live in that world. Our limbs feel its smoothness and its pain. This world is the world that all of us walk through in our daily routines. There is another world that's just as real. The second world is invisible to these birth eyes. It's the realm of the Spirit. For those of you who have trusted Christ as Savior... You know this to be true. I'm not telling you anything new. The spirit realm exists. And if we have been saved, we have been given the key. We've been given the permission. We've been given the gift of eternal life. The Holy Ghost has come to live within each one of us who are saved. And we now have that avenue to recognize this invisible spiritual realm. The spiritual world transcends the material world. It transcends the solar system, the galaxy, the universe, and sweeps up into heaven, the seat of power and sovereignty of the Almighty God. Spiritually, we connect with all of that when we get saved. We're born outside its domain, but salvation from the Lord allows us to become its participant, that other world. And the two worlds overlap for us who are saved. Now, to those that are unsaved, they're not part of the spiritual world, although it's here. They're not participating in it. If you have come today and you have never had that personal moment when you trusted Christ as your Savior, your sin bearer, you've never opened your heart and said, I recognize I recognize that I'm a sinner and that I need forgiveness for my sin, that an all-powerful, omniscient God has severed me from His household. And I want to be saved. I want to know God. I want to walk with God. Out in this material world, people react in different ways. Some folks simply deny the spiritual. There are those that say prayer is foolish. Doesn't exist. Miracles can't possibly happen. God's intervention, are you kidding me? What God? The God of the earth, the God of the moon, the God of the the ponds and seas, the God of the animal world. What God? We don't believe in God. And so there are those that are atheistic, we call them. There are those that Talk about God, but they've substituted falsity for truth. They have rituals, ceremonies, prayer books. They have different kinds of pageants that may be formal and seem civilized and and be expensive, or it might be primitive even in jungles, worshiping the spirits of trees and animals and sky. and But they've substituted. But they've done that because in every heart, there is built in an awareness that that spiritual realm exists. We may not describe it the same. We may not have the truth about its its scope and dimension for eternity. But human beings have a an unbelievable capacity to make up, in a way, fictional ideas about God or gods and somehow try to figure out how we can enter that realm, the spiritual realm. There are cults that call themselves Christian. There are denominations that claim to be Christian. And yet if the emphasis is not on the Lord Jesus Christ, but on our works and our behavior, the Scripture says not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. With the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost, The entrance to that spiritual realm as far as participating, the entrance to the household of God is found in verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the power of God, I'm sorry, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That good news, that gospel, what is the gospel? I'm sure that many of our Sunday school kids could easily answer that, even the youngest among them. I'm sure that almost everyone in this auditorium could. Although there might be some exceptions. If you're a brand new Christian, you might say, well, I'm not sure quite how to express it. I'm not sure quite how to describe it. But the word gospel means good news. So what is the good news that our Savior offers Well, he offers the good news that he came to this earth. That God would be birthed as a human being. The fancy word is incarnation, incarnate. That God would be birthed as a human being. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus, would be birthed from the womb of a virgin, would live. 33 years on the face of the earth. He would hear the slander. He would hear the cussing. He would see cruelty. He would see lies. He would see uh, 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 all the imperfections of man in his own ministry. He would experience mocking. He would experience name-calling, tail-bearing, And then in the finality of his ministry on earth on earth he would experience betrayal, a false accusation and a false trial. He would experience the sentence of execution by crucifixion. All of that is good news. Pastor Brown, how can you say that execution is good news? Perhaps a teen's thinking that. Perhaps a child. Perhaps an adult is thinking that. How can that be good news? Because all of that was necessary. That the simple truths, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. The simple truth that death and severance from God, separation from God, await every human being until Christ has entered their life, forgiven their sin, become their righteousness. That without that life, that commitment, that purity, that holiness... Without that message, we would all be dead in our sins, awaiting eternity in hell. It's good news that Jesus came. It's good news that Jesus lived. It's good news that Jesus healed. It's good news that Jesus uh, uh, taught. It's good news that Jesus was pure. It's good news that Jesus loved. It's good news, but it's also good news that he died. It's good news that he rose again. Because in rising again from the dead and leaving an empty tomb behind, Jesus proved that his words were accurate. His promises were right. He was not a charlatan, he was not a false teacher. He promised in three days, I'll rise again. And he did. And that's the good news, that if we trust him, we too can have life eternal, death can be conquered. Good news. So the scripture in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, that's all of that, and that good news, when we have embraced it, when we've heard it in our hearts, when we've responded spiritually, how do we respond to that good news? One place says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Another says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, will be saved. The good news. The good news brings power, applies power that overcomes all the flaws of Adam and promises us a life ahead of bliss and peace forever with God. If that was the end of the story, that'd be good enough. But it's not the end. How many, I'm going to ask you this don't be embarrassed. If you don't feel like raising your hand, that's okay. But how many would say, I'm not embarrassed to raise my hand? and say, honestly, there's been a decision in my life, I'm saved, I've trusted Christ. You may put your hands down. I'm going to say something blunt. Why aren't you all dead? That's a crazy thing. Wait a minute. He promised you eternal life. Why aren't we there? It's possible that someday that last soul being saved before the rapture it's possible that that last soul will bow their head, acknowledge to Christ, I know I'm a sinner, invite Him to come into their heart and life, forgive me of my sin, Lord, and give me a new life. Thank you for your gift promised. Amen. And when they say amen, it's possible we'll all be raptured. That last soul. And there will be others after that during the tribulation that get saved without a doubt. But why are we living? Why didn't we trust Christ and just go on to heaven? One reason may be to prove the power that's promised in verse 16. The power of the gospel wasn't just to get me to the moment I got saved in 1972. The power of the gospel is what's helped me, motivated me, empowered me, changed me, stood with me for all the years since. As long as you can raise your hand and say, I know I'm saved, as long as you're drawing a breath, your heart's beating, the power of the gospel is available. It's God's power to you and to me to change our lives. That has been the message of White Oak Baptist Church throughout its entire history, that the gospel changes lives. Salvation is the first step, but not the only step. The gospel. Having trusted Christ with the gospel, the power of God works to change our circumstance. We're living in that dual world, that world where in the spirit realm we can pray, we can have the peace of God in our hearts. We can imagine what it will be like to be in heaven with the Lord. We can intercede on behalf of others. We can meditate upon the Word of God and the benefits that God has given us. We've been adopted into His family. We've been justified uh, freely, our sins forgiven. We have a home guaranteed ahead in heaven. We have a walk with God that encourages us daily. All those blessings and benefits because of the power of the gospel. It started with salvation, but it hasn't ended. And the power is available every day. I wrote a short list. What kind of power? And I thought back over the years that I was pastor, the first 24 years of this church, Praising the Lord for the years that have followed and the good leaders, but I thought back over those twenty-four years when Lynn and I were here. I thought of some of the ways that that gospel power was at work—power to heal messages, uh, marriages, not messages, marriages. Power to heal marriages. You know, often folks are struggling in a marriage. It's not unusual. Well, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to have struggles. Listen, we're human beings and we have struggles with communication. We have struggles with goals. We have struggles with health. We have struggles. We have struggles. And most folks that would seek the counsel of a pastor or a pastor's wife, most folks don't want to stand in front of the church and say, Oh, by the way, church, would you pray for us? We're having marriage problems. That doesn't really happen, it'd be a rarity. In fact, when a person makes an appointment and says, Pastor Brown, would it be possible for my wife and I to come in, would it be possible for my husband and I to come in and talk with you because we're struggling with some things at home? One of the follow-up comments is often, "Uh, could we do that confidentially? This is very personal. It's very private. Would would you not talk to others about it? That would be typical and normal, and I would expect not to talk to people about it. So over all those years I was pastor here and even now with students and their needs and things, it's not marriage for the most of them, there's only a couple of married students at the college, but as I look back I realize people came, people asked questions, people prayed, people shared personal and intimate things. I can remember a couple that came and sat with me and they'd been married more than two decades and shared openly that there wasn't much life in their marriage. Whatever you wanted to define as life, communication, sharing things, goals, physicality, there wasn't much. Why was that? And the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God and some shared verses and a few thoughts and prayers over a period of time, that couple became a strong marriage. Wow, Pastor Brown, your counseling techniques. No, 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 it had nothing to do with that. I know that. The power of the gospel puts marriages that are shattered back together if the people respond to the power. The power to reconcile children with parents the power to deliver from a hospital bed. Or, well, in the hospital bed to accept that that's God's purpose and mission for that moment and to glorify God in praise. The scripture in Philippians says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Always is an interesting word. We usually read it and put an S on there, but there's no S on it. It was intentional by the translators of the King James. Alway to them meant in every way possible, not just time-wise, not just in any time, but in every way possible. Rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what our circumstance, to be able to say, thank you, Lord, that's a tough one. I've been there when it's tough. When I've been in the hospital bed, I've been there when it's tough. But to be able to praise God, not knowing perhaps, with me, this wasn't true, but with others, not knowing if you'll come home from the hospital. Not knowing what will lie in the next day, in the next hour, when night falls. And yet, God's power allows folks to amazingly, amazingly respond. Whereas a pastor visiting the hospital I walk away encouraged when I thought I was going to have to spend time encouraging someone else. It's the power of God. The power to provide a job. Some of you may be struggling and out of work. Say, are you going to guarantee that I have a job tomorrow if I come to church today? No. But I think I could pretty much guarantee that the job will not be the most important thing to you if you're trusting the power of God to get you to the next day. So how can that be? How? That's what God does. He changes us. And our wants and our desires and our frailty suddenly changes. Power to cast out fear. A few years ago, a young lady came to our college. She was an older student. She was in her mid-20s. And she said... Uh, The students call me Dr. Brown. She said, Dr. Brown, uh, I just want you to know, I suffer severe anxiety attacks, panic attacks. They come over me, and when that happens, I mean, I'm paralyzed. I I can't do anything. I can't think. I can't study. I don't know what what to do. I I just, I'm absolutely, my life is shattered, and it happens often. Well, over the next months, in fact, uh, about a year and a half, tried to meet with her and help her and such to share with her verses that would help her, to share with her memory verses she could she could re, go back on when she had an attack, to talk about what the attacks were about, to talk about the base, uh, trusting God and his word. If he promised this, will it happen? Yes. Oh, but I don't know, because I've got this situation. Oh, 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 if he promised, will it happen? Yes. I can tell you by the time she graduated, she wasn't having panic attacks. By the time she graduated, she could hold a job. By the time she graduated, she looked forward to visiting the mission field. And now, some years later, is still praying about whether to go to the mission field as a missionary. She's had short-term missions a couple times. She's really praying earnestly about that. And not talking about panic attacks. Because the gospel is the power of God to cast out fear. And fear is the Bible word for anxiety and panic. Deliver from the bondage of addiction. Power to accept the imperfections of others. And uh, perhaps even harder, the imperfections of ourselves. The devil likes to whisper in our ears, you're not good enough. The devil likes to whisper in our ears, are you sure you got saved? The devil likes to whisper in our ears, did you say the right words in the prayer where you got saved? The devil likes to, wait a minute, let me pause there for a minute. It's the faith in the heart, not the words in the prayer. But the devil likes to tell us all kinds of things. You don't deserve it. You sinned against last week, again last week. You sinned again and you told God you wouldn't. You've got a habit that nobody knows about and and you're not worthy and you're going to hell. And the devil whispers all those things, but the power of God through the gospel casts that out. The perfect love of the gospel says, Did God say he loves me? Did God say if I trusted his son Jesus and what he did on the cross, I'd be forgiven? Well, if he said that, will God lie? No. The power of God. The power to combat the lies of the evil one. The power to explore new spiritual paths. Some of you have never taught a Sunday school class, but God might want you to. Oh, I couldn't do that. I've never done it before. New spiritual paths. Some of you have never handed out a track. Oh, I couldn't do that. I I couldn't be that bold. Really? Just to hand out a track? Maybe you go with someone else. We'll take turns. You hand one out, I'll hand one out. You hand one out, I'll hand one out. And then add to that. Wait a minute. Hand out the track and talk. Whoa, wait a minute. Hand out the track and talk? Hand out the track and talk not about the weather and not about the kids, but about the Lord. Whoa, you've gone Bananas! I could never do that. I don't think there's a soul winner in the world that didn't start thinking like that. I can't do that. But then you discovered you didn't have to. What? That when you handed out that track and that person responded, that wasn't you that did that. We don't win souls. We talk about soul winning. I have no problem with that term. I have no problem talking about whether you're going soul winning. Are you a soul winner? I have no problem as long as we remember we didn't win the soul. Way a long time ago, I was on the streets in North Chicago on a bus route. A long time ago. I'm 150 years old. It's a long time No. (laughs) I was supposed to hand out a certain number of tracts as a student at the Bible College. I hadn't got to my number yet. So I'm standing on a street corner before it's about 5 o'clock at night. I have to drive back uh, 45 minutes to my home. And I'm handing out these tracts trying to get. And a guy came by and I said, here, have this. And he said, no, I don't want that. I'm an atheist. And for some reason, the Holy Ghost in my heart gave me an answer. My mouth opened and words came out. Words I've never used since. He said, no, I don't want that. I don't believe in God. And I turned around and said, that's not true. I don't believe that. Why would I say that? And he stopped. He was in a hurry, and he stopped, and he turned around. He said, what do you mean? I said, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. You don't look like a fool to me. And he said, I just said that because I didn't want to be bothered with you. You're right. I do believe there's a God. Fifteen minutes later, he was saved. So, Brother Brown, that was great what you did. I didn't do anything. You know what I mean by that, right? Some of you have won souls. You know what I mean by that. There are times when we think we've influenced someone. There are times, and that's okay, but there are times when we walk away and we just know nothing that I put into that conversation made a single difference except God, through His Spirit, just grabbed that person. Wow. The power to explore new paths. Soul winning paths. Singing paths. Using your talents to sing or play. Visiting seniors. The senior citizen kinds, not the seniors in high school kinds. The power to be a help, to be a blessing. The power to encourage. The power to send cards. Barbara, I still remember your mom sending cards. New paths to explore. The power of the gospel allows all that. Now, what kind of power? It's power for good, it's power for God, it's power to change our lives, it's power that flows from the gospel. When I was a teenager, I attended a church. I was not saved, and I attended a church. It had Baptist on the front of the church on the sign, but it didn't preach the gospel at all. In fact, there were many times when it was evident that the leaders rejected the Scriptures as being accurate. I remember being on a teen event, and we had to go to another city, another town. It was going to be an hour or two-hour drive, something like that. So the church rented a bus. Just like here, we rent buses. The church rented a bus, and the teenagers got on the bus, and we were driving there. It was going to an evening meeting, and after we were on the bus for a little while, dusk came, and, you know, it got darker. And we were in the country road in upstate New York. There was a little country church, you know, the classic steeple in the front, wood siding, you know, the classic. Only there was a neon sign, vertical neon sign, that lit up. And it said, Jesus saves. I still remember the adult leaders laughing at that. Hey, look at that. Look at that. It just lit up. Unbelievable. Can you imagine people that still think that and say that? That's crazy. Boy, simpletons. Really. That was the influence I had as a teenager from religious leaders. Okay, From religious leaders. But you know, the truth is this. We don't have that sign here. We don't need it. You don't need to go buy a neon sign. <laughs> no, Angela, you don't need to do that. But hopefully the folks in this community and the folks that are in this service right here and upstairs in the Spanish ministry, and we're here this morning at 8.30, that you imagine your church, this church, as a church that has that neon sign. And it says Jesus saves, because that message has been the message since April the 6th, 1980 until this morning. And will continue to be that message so long as you as a congregation accept the truth that the power to change lives, to answer prayers, to have peace and contentment, To see our families grow, to have optimism for the future, does not depend on the physical world out here. It only depends on the spiritual world. And that spiritual world is impenetrable. It can't be penetrated except through the power of the gospel. Your job and mine is to tell people that Jesus saves. How they respond to that at first might be offensive. When my wife and I first witnessed to our family members as a whole, we were urged by an evangelism to, an evangelist in church to send letters to all of our relatives that were lost And tell them, the evangelist said, tell them that they're going to hell and need Christ. As new Christians, we said, let's write those letters. The evangelist said this. Then we sent the letters. They were not well received. And we thought, oh, no. Our family, some some literal family members, literally some wouldn't speak to us. Others made fun of us in family ways, not, not horrible, but just let us know. Don't talk about that again. You guys are involved in some kind of cult. You know, you're, you're over, just, you'll outgrow it. My mother said, yeah, I'll talk to you in a couple years, you'll get through this. Nobody got saved for two years. And then one got saved. My mom got saved suffering with cancer in her early 60s. Lynn's mom got saved suffering with a fatal illness many years later. But as we grew, not every person we sent a letter got saved, but a number did. And the reason is not that our letter was so nice and sweet. It wasn't. It was blunt. It was brutal. We look back and we say, why did we ever do that? But what it did was it presented the gospel. The power of God unto salvation. There are churches who, like the Israelites, the Israelites forgot what it was like to have the Red Sea parted. This church has had the Red Sea parted numbers of times. But the Israelites forgot that. And then they wanted to figure out how they could be blessed by God. And the Pharisees said, well, we've got a system. We'll do all these rules. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll be just fine. Jesus came and said, no, believe the gospel. They said, no, no. We've got alternatives. We've got all the feasts of Israel. We've got Rules that we've made up. We've got all these different ways socially that we can please God, but those weren't the ways God wanted to be pleased. But there's many a church that's followed that same pattern. They've forgotten what God did 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago. They've forgotten that, but they do know there's a problem. We're not growing. We're getting into arguments. There are different cliques. So we've got to change this. What are we going to do? Well, maybe buying new hymnals will be a help. Maybe purchasing a different uh, Sunday school curriculum will be good. How about an up-to-date phone system? Or maybe we should hire a, 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 an interior decorator to come and coordinate all of our colors. Maybe we could. All I'm saying is I've made those things up. What I'm saying is when we use the world's tools to think that we'll have spiritual victory... We've missed it. White Oak Baptist Church, you're still on target. You're still on the rails. You're still headed toward the goals. You're still giving out the Gospel responsibly, frequently, fervently. But don't forget that that can change. So you keep praying that the power of the gospel will continue to be the theme of this congregation. And as long as I'm on earth, and have opportunity from time to time to stop back and chat and say hi, not necessarily preach, just stop in, I'll not be ashamed to find what I see if you'll keep preaching the gospel. Heavenly Father, I ask that you'd bless the time we've had. I pray that you'd work in our hearts. First, for the folks that are saved and been saved some time, many of them, or just saved a year or two. First of all, for the folks that are saved, I pray that they might be able to look back on that day of, that moment of salvation with joy maybe it's become dull in the history of their lives and it hasn't been quite as vibrant as quite as 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 uh, exciting renew that excitement may they realize what it was like to hear the gospel what it was like to respond and say i i want to see that in other people i'll pray for that in other people i'll witness for that in other people i'll attend church and encourage others that are that are walking now with the lord perhaps there's someone here that would say, Pastor Brown, I've been dull about that, about my own salvation, or dull about my own growth. I remember when I was growing fast and things were new, hasn't been that way in a long time. I know a lot of things. Now I didn't. But I'm not praying as fervently as I did. I'm not as positive about answered prayer as I once was. Pastor Brown, I'm saved, but pray for me because the message reminded me through the Holy Spirit that my life in Christ could be so much more exciting and lively. Would you raise your hand wherever you are? I see several hands. Thank you so much. You may put your hands down. Perhaps there's someone here that would say, Pastor Brown, you talked about being saved. You've talked about receiving Christ. You've talked about salvation and faith. This is not the first time you may have heard this, but Pastor Brown, I honestly can't testify that there's been a decision point in my life where I trusted Christ. I just kind of always thought of myself as a Christian. But everyone here seems to think that we're lost and then we find Christ and we trust Him. That's a decision point. That's, a, that's an event I don't think I've ever had an event like that. Pray for me that I'll be willing to review that. And if I haven't a confidence that I have been saved, placed my faith in Christ, that I would speak to someone about that. Perhaps Brother Andrew, perhaps Pastor Lejeune, but I'll speak to someone about that. I want to get that settled. I want to be able to say, I know I've trusted Christ. Anyone like that today, I'm not certain that I've trusted Christ. Maybe it's an all-out, I know I haven't yet. For me, that was true at age 24. I knew I hadn't trusted Christ. At age 25, I asked him to save me. Father, I didn't see any hands there. I pray you'd work in hearts if there's any that's true. Now, Lord, we ask that you'd work in the hearts of those here. Some may need a moment at the altar to confirm their desire to walk closer to you. Some may have a specific need that they're praying for, and the message has just reminded them that they need to continue that prayer. Whatever the reason, we open the altar to you. In Jesus' name, amen.